of Rank and Review, and uh, we're doing something different this time. Uh, this week's episode is called Homicide Made Hilarious. My dear friend Natara Curry and I are going to discuss six comedies that have sort of horror premises. Um, so it's kind of a change of pace, and I hope you guys like it. Um, as usual, I'm going to warn everyone in advance that there could possibly be some coarse language and some spoilers, so... Uh, Let's just roll with the punches, shall we? My name's Larry Parsons, I'm your host and Random Canadian, and thank you so much for listening. Okay, so this is going to be episode 10 of Rank and Review, and I have my dear friend, Natara Curry, <laughs> in my filthy garage with me. We have a, a rich and storied history, Natara and I, um, and I'm super stoked that you agreed to do this uh, podcast with me. Um, last week, I promised that uh, I would do something lighter for this episode, so uh, we're doing something different. We're doing Homicide <laughs> Made Hilarious. Uh, to accommodate Natara, who is not a horror movie fan. Uh, welcome to Rankin Review, Natara, and uh, uh, why not the horror? Why not with the horror? Because uh, I guess I learned about the horrors of real life on like a political stance, just knew how bad the world gets, not that I was abused and shit as a child. That's right. Um, like, I, I knew that bad stuff happens in this world, and really bad stuff happens in this world, so... I guess watching the movies is reliving a feeling that I, I don't really think I need to relive. And mostly, I don't enjoy it or find it particularly useful. That said, um, uh, in the last five years, we watched a movie together that kind of proved for me what the, the use of horror movies are. Right. Up until that point, I kind of mostly just... Was... Didn't understand it other than it scared you. Really. Well, I d- yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I got a lot of it, because a lot of them are really smart, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are really fun and funny, and I got that you guys liked them, mm-hmm. so, and you, you know, I liked Force a lot of things. Well, of them. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting, because uh, I do enjoy a horror movie that is about something, mm-hmm. like, that they're, they're, they're digging into a meaty sort of story, but... Uh, I've also come to the point where I can just enjoy a, a dumb, you know, jump out of the dark, boo, don't overthink it horror movie. I think it's sort of my version of what a lot of people have in romantic comedies, where they're they're getting something they know what they're getting when they when they step into it. You know, when you get a romantic comedy, right, that there's going to be some embarrassing foibles that happen, some romantic misunderstandings, but in the end, it's all going to work out okay. And in a horror movie, you know that. 
people are going to make dumb decisions and they're going to put themselves in jeopardy and probably only one of them is going to survive. It's just, uh, it's like a happy meal. It's just like knowing what you're getting. You know? <laughs> so there's something comforting in the formula and knowing that you're going to go down the same pattern. It's the right. same way my wife can is... watch like lazy, bad television, <laughs> like just consume it all the time. But like, it's just well, well, comfort let's, food. Let's, let's not be comparative about it because each of those different topics are very different things that I could discuss at length. Right. But the horror movie genre, my particular problem with the horror movie genre as opposed to bad television or romantic comedies, both of which I do enjoy at yeah. times, is that fear issue, that absolute abject terror thing. Like, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know why I need to feel that when there's so much terrible things going on. Like... Yeah. Like, what if the bomb explodes? Do I need to relive that? Like, do I need to have extra bad images in my head? I can think of all sorts of terrible shit. I don't need to, you don't feel, need more like, to get be scared, scared that a zombie's gonna grab my hand when I opened a door. It's like, what? Where did that image come from? Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, uh, there's something to, to uh, the safe scare. Naming the terror, yes. The safe scare. And I think this is where I got it. Like the really smart movie that I don't want to mention the name of for okay. some reason. All right, it'll be it's our mystery. secret. Because <laughs> um, it was sort of controversial when we saw it, the experience of it. <laughs> and anyway, that that yeah, that um, in that context, it was safe enough for me to go through some really scary places, mm-hmm. and and for me to have some really clear uh, scary things that we're afraid of. Right. Right, like, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this was in the movie or not. But like, what if the crazy psycho Christian bitch woman actually is right? Like, yeah. like, like those intellectual fears that get you right in the gut. That's yeah. what works for me. And in that movie, there's enough question at the end that I could go, "Oh my God, they opened a door." I was scared enough in that experience and safe enough in my world for yeah. whatever reason that I could. I could see a possibility that I'd never seen before in the ending, and that's where it's really useful for me. Yeah. We both come, we have some theater in our background, do you, you more did. than I, and, and you do a lot of dance and movement stuff. But, but uh, writing gives a certain perspective on watching <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, where is it going? The, the emotional reaction that I get, uh, and then that's what I know that a movie's working for me if I react emotionally to it. Right. And I think that's why I tend towards comedies and towards horror movies. Because I know if a comedy's working that I'm laughing aloud and my stomach hurts. Yeah. And I know that yep. if I'm watching a good a horror movie that my body gets tense. Sure. And, and that's why a romance works when it works is because it you actually feel that glow feeling or whatever, yeah. right? Um, but I think that the, the negative feeling that, that a lot of people, and I mean, maybe you associate with horror movies, I get in some of these like super heavy dramas. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I sometimes hate them. Yeah. Absolutely. Where where it's just like, you know, they're looking at a valid issue. They're looking at like some real ouch yeah. issue uh, that's important, that is worth examining. I find that like really hard to watch. And even if I really like a movie, like A Requiem for a Dream or, or We Need to Talk About Kevin or like some of these really challenging, ugly movies... Uh, they yeah. can go over the top bad, but when they're done well, they really leave a, they almost leave scars on my, on me. Uh, yeah. But I can't go to those again and again safely. Whereas I can go to these sort of silly, uh, safe scares. But why would you need to relive that scare? Like, I understand the argument that it's important for us to keep the scare feeling alive, yeah. even if 
the real issues of the day are way too important, and, and they were just we want to blow our brains out if we look at them. <laughs> well, like that makes some sense to me. That's and entertainment that's a, in its whole, right? I would say that's so sociology in its whole. But I mean, I, it, in dealing with the evil, we take entertainment to deal with it and learn about it. Like that's what entertainment does, right? That's. I feel like that's an entirely different, different like intellectual <laughs> argument in itself, which would be freaking awesome because that idea uh, blows my brain, and that would be fucking cool. Um, uh, but horror movies, yes, I, the, the fear factor, like I just don't get why that's a ne- like it bores me. Right, I find it tedious to relive that fear thing. Well, that's cool. I'm fair and, enough. And 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 movies like Requiem for a Dream, like watch them once. That's it. That's all. They're astounding, and I'm not going to tell other people to watch them. I'm not going to tell other people to read Barefoot again at the age of six. Right. It's not. Uh, like, it's not necessary, but I don't think... Like, I understand the feeling of something, and you've said this, but I've also found it so curious. Like, yeah, watching horror movies to fear, feel something, but why feel fear? Like, why would that be a feeling? I think it's something feel? that a lot of people really like. I think it's the same thing that... I mean, everybody gets it differently, but some people really like going on a roller coaster, you know? Sure. Uh, it's a like speed, Yeah, drive scare. fast, speed turns me on. I get it. Yeah. I, but... Uh, you know you're safe, even though your body's telling you you're being thrown around and spun upside down and terrible things should be happening to you. You know you're in a safe space, so you can enjoy what would otherwise be scary. Uh, but again, it's icky. everybody's <laughs> different, ta- different, different strokes for different folks. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, and, uh, I, I think we should introduce the movies that we're going to talk about and then talk about some of them. Um, the interesting thing, we're doing Homicide Made Hilarious, and I do think that if you were to, you could like write a descriptor for each of these movies... And it would sound like a horror movie. Uh, like if you did like a one-line, a TV guide version of it. You know. Oh yeah, like that Mary Poppins is a horror movie. <laughs> well, the, well, did you see that trailer? Or yeah, where they do false trailers. But yeah, I'm yeah. talking about that. Like say like the, the Cable Guy, for instance, is one of the movies. Like the one-line treatment of the Cable Guy would be uh, uh, a mentally ill cable worker obsesses over one of his customers. That sounds like a horror movie, right? But that's the movie. Uh, a man begins to suspect that his fiance is a serial killer. So I married an axe murderer. Uh, a creative writing teacher, uh, through a misunderstanding, is hired to kill one of his students' mothers and throw them over from the train. Uh, uh, a clique of girls uh, get uh, take bullying to a whole different level, and uh, high school gets a body count with Heathers. Uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, a beauty pageant competition that is so, so competitive that there is a literal body count. And the Lady Killers, uh, about a group of people who uh, try to pull a heist in the basement of an old woman's house and have to kill her to cover up their crime. Yeah, right now I'm not interested in any of those movies. <laughs> I did not enjoy any of those movies. That description. <laughs> yeah, those were terrible movies. Like, why in the hell would I like those movies? Well, it's just why did I like those movies? Because they're funny, and they're not particularly scary at all. But I do think a lot of them are hella dark. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one of the beautiful things about comedy is that it can be used to look at really terrible things. Mm-hmm. That's why I like comedy is because I can be scared out of my mind and then it's going to be okay because they've given me something more yeah. than that fear. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think this is actually a pretty decent collection of movies overall. Oh, I, I, liked, I, I liked it. I enjoyed revisiting a lot of these um, and I think I do prefer, I quote-unquote, dark comedies over sort of like the mainstream uh, wacky comedies a lot of the time. I just, that it, it, 
appeals to my sense of humor. Um, but uh, more than any other episode of Rankin Review, you're going to find this episode is one you can take home to mom and dad. <laughs> Are you ready to get started? And totally. They were uh, good movies for me because right. they were, because um, uh, they totally, uh, most of them pushed my edge about what a horror movie is and like why I do or do not like horror movies. That was awesome. Thanks. Sweet. Oh, you've got to get it through your thick head. I may be a lot of things, but I am not a killer. You don't have to blow her brains out or anything. Thank you. That takes the pressure right off. She's old. She's got a bad ticker. All you gotta do is jerk around a lot when you talk to her. Nice to meet you, Mrs. Lifts. Aaron, what the hell's going on out there? We woke her up. Nothing, Mama. <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> We're going to talk about Throw Mama from the Train. There's a lot of interesting things about this movie. It's written and directed by Danny DeVito. Woo! Also co-starring Danny DeVito. I didn't realize he directed it or yeah. wrote it. Um, well, that goes all of my notes. <laughs> Pardon me. It was written by Stu Silver, and it was directed by Danny DeVito, but he did also uh, yeah, act in it. Uh, yeah. it. This is interesting on many levels. It's one of the rare occasions where there's a movie where the central character name is Larry, and he's not an incompetent moron or a scumbag or, you know, sleazy in some respects. Well, that's sort of arguable. Well, he's but... not the smartest guy in the world, but he is our protagonist. We're rooting for him. We like Larry. Yes. It's so rare. So yes. this gets a pass right away for me. <laughs> um, yeah, if the basic premise, and they steal it from a Hitchcock movie, is that uh, this uh, creative writing teacher played by Billy Crystal, named Larry, uh, has a meeting with one of his students, uh, Owen, played by uh, Danny DeVito, and uh, they have a little miscommunication. He's giving him advice and telling him to watch some uh, Hitchcock movies and get insp inspired, and uh, what Danny DeVito's character is receiving is that I'm making you a deal. I will kill your ex-wife, and you will kill my mother. And the laughter ensues. Natara, what did you think of Throw Mama from the Train? It was the movie I liked the least of all of them, although I think I was supposed to like it much more than I did. Hmm. Um, now, granted, I watched it separately from the rest, so it, it may have been a like a an experiential thing. Um, I adored Danny DeVito in it. I adored him as Owen. Uh, I adored most of the really awkward twists like there was some awkward suspension of disbelief moments yeah. and I went with them like I liked it I liked it well enough I found the ending disappointing like when by the time they were on the train I was sort of tired hmm. and was like what how is mom what's mama doing on the train I don't what <laughs> Um, I guess I would say that perhaps the title of the movie is uh, maybe not the best title. They might have been able to come up with a better one because, uh, first of all, it takes some of the suspense out of the earlier scenes when Billy Crystal is or is not attempting to kill Mama, played by uh, Anne uh, Ramsey, who was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for She's her performance. Great. She was the mom in Goonies. <laughs> That's correct. Mm -hmm. And Pee-wee's Big Adventure, she shows up in oh, yeah. that movie. Yeah. She, makes a, she makes an impression, and you understand why, why Owen feels this way about his mother. Oh, poor sweet, sweet <laughs> Owen. <But> you <laughs> you want to kill her yourself. Yeah. That's good. Uh, and it's weird that we like Owen so much, in that like he's oh. willing to prefer, perform this murder for Billy Crystal's yeah. character. And uh, he's 
he wants his mom dead, and, and he just can't kill his mom. <laughs> but oh, it's he great. He fantasizes oh. it about, and it shows us that <laughs> we see lots of these these fantasies of him, what he wants to do to his mom, which are darkly hilarious. I'm actually a really big fan of Through Mom from the Train. I thought it's like it's a fairly short movie. It, it packs a lot of story into a short it time does. frame. Um, there's some 80s-ness to it, but uh, considering it's like 1987 or 88, I believe, uh, there's a lot, lot worse movies. 87. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not distractingly, it's like, hilariously 80s. It's not short. Yeah. One hour, no, an hour and 28 minutes, that's, that's less than an hour and a half. That's, that, that's pretty short for a movie. I guess so. I guess so. Um, Sorry, I got you. It's all good. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Danny DeVito as a rule. He he likes his comedies dark as well. Uh, one of his most underappreciated movies, I think, is a little title called Death to Smoochie, which I actually think is darkly hilarious. I, I would watch it again, for <laughs> um, sure. And uh, he did this one with uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner called War of the Roses, mm-hmm. which is super heavy and dark and also really well done. Um, uh, this is sort of his first big... Uh, broad comedy and I thought he came out of the gate pretty impressively I also like Billy Crystal a lot in this movie and um, I it's it's kind of cool to see him so young and full of energy like uh, uh, yeah it, you remember true. oh yeah Billy Crystal was hilarious <laughs> I, I, I think I don't I, yeah I find Billy Crystal's a tricky one for me I don't think I really liked him until something like Princess Bride right. um, it is really great to see him young and be like, oh, right, he was a handsome, like, he was a leading man dude. Mm -hmm. But he's, and I like his kind of crusty leading man, for sure. Yeah. It's far, it's far nicer than the the super purely lovable handsome man. (laughs) But I still don't love him. Like, he's a little bit, like, I want him to be a little bit more Matthew Broderick and Cable Guy. (laughs) Uh, Like, I want him to love Owen just a little bit. More. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get himself out of this situation for the most part. Uh, the, he believes that Owen has killed his ex-wife. Which is, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, worst case, like, he's trying to either avoid ga- jail or, or trying to warn... His, basically, his tactics change from scene to scene uh, because he's a desperate man. Uh, <laughs> it's just the Billy Crystal Tate being so... Ah, like, the Woody allen thing he does. I don't know. I think one of the reasons that I really like this movie too, other than the character's name is Larry, <laughs> uh, I like the creative writing angle. I mean, I do. I am. I am a writer, and I do the stuff like that. But the night was scene, which is one of the earliest scenes in the movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where he's just sitting in front of the typewriter and write. The, the night was. The night. I love it. I just think it's hilarious. I think all of the students in the class and all of their different oh my uh, short stories oh my goodness. are hilarious. That woman who's writing this submarine thriller but has done no research. The women I'd like to fuck. <laughs> you guys got the copy table book of women he'd like to sleep with. But he's ever expanding. Whenever he meets a new woman, you can just see him taking mental notes. It's... Yeah, like and the again, good is so good. <laughs> yeah. good yeah. Um, where where it's, some of the stuff gets weaker, we have sort of uh, the old trope of uh, in one scene, uh, Danny DeVito's character is hiding in a room, and two people are end up having sex on a couch, like really close to him, and he's hiding awkwardly while this whole scene is playing out. I didn't think that scene was as funny as the, everyone involved seemed to think it was, and it did go uh, on I think a little while longer than it needed to. But for the most part, uh, yeah, like I said. 
lean, quick, funny, dark comedy. It's the my cup of tea. The, the useful thing about the, the sex of the couch theme is that you get to see all of the books of the ex-wife and know that she probably is somebody who is worthy of being killed, much less Mama. So <laughs> well, there was that. And Billy Crystal's hatred for his ex-wife, you kind of understand. It's not just that he hates the fact that she used to be his wife. She stole his work, claimed yeah. it as her own, and became an international star because of it. She's a millionaire and, uh, you know, floating off a cloud of his work, and he's this, you know creative writing instructor. Well, that's one of the things I liked about her was that there was the question of whether or not she was that, like whether or not Billy Crystal was just, uh, sorry, whether Larry was just going off <laughs> on on some big tangent. Like, was he just being hyperbolic about it? Did she really steal his work? What, what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then as the movie goes on, we gradually see, oh yeah, she really is that terrible. Yeah. And he really is the good guy. And when push comes to shove, he's not going to throw Mama from the no, train. No, he can't do it. We know that Larry's not going to kill Mama. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, again, there is that turning point in the script when uh, uh, Anne Ramsey gives him his the feed line the line he's been looking for this whole time <laughs> the night was sultry <laughs> and he says he's gonna kill the bitch and for a second you believe him <laughs> I don't know like the movie works enough it's a big thumbs up for me it's true the balance is pretty solid woman whoa man whoa man Charlie McKenzie hello Find something wrong. She's a thief. She was in the mafia. She smelled like soup. With every girl he dates. But when Charlie meets Harriet. Hi. Hi. What do you look for in a woman you date? But I'd really have to go with breast size. <laughs> he knows she's the one. You have the face of a wee angel. <laughs> I give! I give! I'm Charlie's father! Except for one thing. She might be a serial killer. She murders her husbands on their honeymoons, then changes her identity and marries again. I'm afraid that you're going to... So we're going to talk about So I Married an Axe Murderer. It is directed by Thomas Schlamm and written by Robbie Fox, but uh, it was retrofitted to accommodate its star, Mike Myers. Um, It gives uh, Mike Myers a chance to do all the sort of Mike Myers stuff that he was good at, especially in the late 90s. And uh, hang it on this script. Uh, basically, Mike Myers plays Charlie, a guy who has a lot of trust issues with women. <laughs> he uh, can't seem to find the right girl, although he's never seemed to have a problem finding a girl. Uh, finally finds himself in a position where he's in love. But, uh, of course, a series of events uh, lead him to believe that she may be a serial killer who murders her husbands like a, a black widow. Uh, it's uh, got a lot of fa- famous faces in it. Nancy Travis plays the love interest. It's a, a fairly easy-going, down, charming comedy. What did you think of uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer? I loved it. I always love it. I think I'm bored of it, and I never want to see it again, and it's in my pile of, like, whatever, that wasn't so good. And then I watched it again, and I still loved it. Like, it, it, it yeah, and I, I get bored of movies so fast that that says a lot. <laughs> it is a Mike Myers feature that I can revisit easily. I can't really say that about the Austin Powers films. And uh, 
the Wayne's World movies just haven't aged that well, I don't think. Uh, this feels very 90s, but uh, this reminds me that there was a time where Mike Myers was a very capable, funny, comedic actor. And there's been a lot of evidence to the contrary subsequent to this. Well, it's kind of timeless because what it is is it's a, it's a fine script. Like the retrofit thing, I didn't know that, and it makes perfect sense because it's a it's a lovely script that anyone could have played, <laughs> but they cast Mike Myers and it works really well for yeah. him. Well, Whereas, all of a sudden, the Scottish father becomes a big part of the story, right? And, oh yeah, it's a good context <laughs> for his, his shenanigans, and it's a good one. And this was sort of the first time we saw the big Scottish thing, which he would revisit in Shrek and in you know Austin Powers and in everything. I'm sure. Um, He's charming in it. You believe him as kind of a ladies' man, too, which I hadn't really thought oh, yeah. of him in that I respect. would date him. Like, he's, a, he's the same old doof you saw in Wayne's World, but you'd date him. But like, he doesn't have the mullet in the goofy <laughs> But grin. he's got the weird mushroom cut, which you can, like, I can say it's a kind of timeless movie, but he's still a doofus with a mushroom cut. Um... But even if you're not a Mike Myers fan, I would say, like, uh, watch this movie, if not for Mike Myers, but for the parade of great faces that you're going to see doing bit roles oh, throughout great. the movie. It's Amazing. ridiculous. Amazing. The cameos are fantastic. You keep being surprised. <laughs> yeah, um, well, where do you start? Uh, I, I love Alan Arkin as the police chief. Um, Anthony LaPaglia is sort of his best friend and the mm-hmm. undercover police officer who's really bad at being an undercover police officer. He wants his life to be like a TV movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. He seems to have been... Become, Not now, Chief! <laughs> yeah, he seems to have become a police officer for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> or all the right reasons, and you love him all the more. <laughs> Uh, and in the end, he does it, which is the best, right? It's true. Uh, Amanda Plummer uh, shows up in the movie as Nancy Travis's sister. Uh, she's one of those actresses who's always at 11. You have to be careful how you cast her, but when you cast her right, she's perfect. Oh, she's... And in this case, <laughs> she is cast this correctly. This is the perfectest, perfectest Amanda Plummer. She's so good. Phil Hartman. Yeah, right? Phil Hartman showed up, which is just, uh, he's so funny in the movie, and it's just heartbreaking to see him every time. It's just like the twist of the knife. I love Phil Hartman. He's so good. <laughs> um, love him. Yeah, there's, there's, there's tons more that we're, that we're missing. <laughs> but they're, oh, they're, I'm, I'm going over my notes, and some of it makes sense, and some of it doesn't make sense. <laughs> my first one, though, is a quote. How many people does it take to make a cappuccino? Which, uh, oh, yes, the opening is like yeah. one long panning shot of a cappuccino being made. Yep, and I think that might be Mike Myers' first line. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, yeah, that's right, this is a witty film. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the whole like uh, art pretentious beat poetry that he does. Mm-hmm. And the, right now, I have in my head a picture of that park in San Francisco. Where are they? I think San Francisco. Yeah, and there's that park, that iconic park that they visit a few times in yeah. this film, which is so lovely. Like, just those shots that show up out of nowhere. And uh, the beat poetry. Yeah, the weird beat poetry. It's like you don't even know if he's taking it seriously. Yeah, like, it's beautiful. The, you want to do that. <laughs> they're like funny, weird things, but is this something Perfect, that Charlie yeah. really does and takes seriously? Like, <laughs> Well, and what does he do for money? This yeah. is my big question. Like, does, Is that what he does? He's a charming dude. <laughs> no, no. Is he a beat poet for yeah. money? Because how that's... much money could you possibly be making? <laughs> he's, he clearly works once a night, or oh, once a week. that world. It, right? We never see his apartment, do we? <laughs> ah, weird. There's too much that we don't know about Charlie. We're, we're made to be suspicious of Nancy Travis's character 
Uh, and we're, yeah, now you're bringing up all this stuff. And what's her Charlie. name? Because uh, I wanted to call her Charlie, but that's only because that's Travis what Amanda Plummer said. Character. That's her right, I just Harriet. said her name. It's Harriet. 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 Her name is Harriet. Sweet talking. Mm-hmm. Harriet. <laughs> yes. Untrusting. Um. <laughs> Harriet's place was amazing. Yeah, Harriet has a really huge apartment. Sweet Pad. I loved her as the butcher. Oh, yes. Mm, that was sexy. She was sexy. And that great me. first scene. Like, what a great first meeting for people of just like, hey, dude, I'll help you out. Okay. Yes. And then they're like slinging meat and he's being silly and it all works. And The romantic comedy angle, this is a romantic comedy, completely works. I keep on trying to put this in the frame of a horror movie, but it is not a horror movie at all. But, but there is that tense business and you're just like... Ah, 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 yeah. ah. But I played for laugh. Again, when he becomes suspicious of her, uh, every little thing uh, he overreacts terribly to. Right? Yeah, it does feel more like a, like a, a sitcom <laughs> up until a certain point, and then it does twist, and it, it really is frightening. Like when the are, are we giving spoilers, spoilers? your way? Yeah, okay, because all of the Amanda Plummer stuff on the roof is. Yeah. Really quite disturbing. <laughs> well, except for the whole like sliding down and the crotch. Yeah, he on the he, pipe he gets gag, hurt in his penis, and uh, which is hilarious. The axe falls perfectly between his oh, fingers. That's and, so cute. Yeah. Um, but there's a chunk in there where yeah. it's genuinely No, that's scary. that. That's Amanda Plummer, man. She's just off Hot. the leash, just completely bonkers, and. Mm. Uh, like that was not a surprise to me that reveal that, that it it's was, true. It was it's like true. that's a little bit uh, no part of me believed that Harriet <laughs> was the killer no, but 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 her scenes build it well like that's where the scary comes in is because you don't see Amanda Plummer for a while yeah. and they're in the spooky no they're in Scottish hotel and Harriet's wearing like slinky red lady dragon lady dress and you're pretty sure she's just nervous because Charlie's been acting so weird. And all of her husbands have left her, and she doesn't want to come well, again. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 but then and Charlie's finding the rings, so maybe she is the killer, and maybe she is crazy, and you've yeah. sort of forgotten about Amanda Plummer for a minute. Yeah. And it does get genuinely scary, and Amanda Plummer shows up, and then it's, you're freaked out about her, and then it gets silly again. <laughs> so I would say it kind of fails as a horror and as a really good film like if they could have sustained that that fear longer or we really dis or we were really or Amanda Plummer was a little less crazy yeah. I don't know I think anyway. for me I, I think it, it works as a comedy oh, I, yeah. I, I mean I didn't feel any genuine peril again for Mike Myers no part of me believed Never. that he was going to die and that Amanda, or Amanda Plummer was going to win no no but did you doubt for a minute did you think for a moment that Harriet might actually be the killer? Yeah. No, I really didn't. But the I really, evidence. Yeah. I, I was like, though this is a romantic comedy, I know how this ends. I know how this ends. This ends with, you know, them getting married and driving off to oh. happily ever after, right? How but, did you know that? Did you know for sure it was a romantic comedy? Well, yeah. Well, it's sort of like with the same programming I was talking about the horror movie. Like, if I go into a standard slasher movie or something like that, I know that either no one's going to survive or one or two people are going to survive. You're going to start with a large group and it's going to get whittled down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And same thing with the romantic comedy. There's all sorts of reasons why it can't work out, but it works out, Right. Same deal here. And it's done completely well. It's a very charming movie. There's... Uh, uh, like you say, it has a high rewatchability to it. Cable guy! 
slip the cable guy 50 bucks, he'll give you all the movie channels for free. You're offering me a bribe. What you have just done is illegal. And in this state, if convicted, you could be fined up to $5,000 or spend six months in a correctional facility. Oh, oh, please. No, that was dumb. I'm just, I'm just making conversation. <laughs> So speaking of Jim Carrey, um, The Cable Guy, this was the movie that ended a long line of mega hits for Jim Carrey. Oh. He, he was, uh, you know, Ace Ventura brought him up and then he did like The Mask and another Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and a Batman movie and it was like, huh. he was becoming this $20 million boy. And then he joined up with uh, Ben Stiller who was uh, directing a feature film after his TV show came to an end. Uh, you'll see cameos from like huh. Jane Garofalo and Andy Dick, who were in the Ben Stiller show. In the this cameos movie. are awesome. Um, you'll see lots of celebrity cameos in this movie. Um, he got a huge paycheck for this movie. It was a big, you know, summer blockbuster event movie, and America said no thanks to a large extent. I mean, I'm sure it didn't lose money in the end, but it was not the monster hit that they were expecting, and it didn't necessarily justify the paycheck that he got. Um, that said, I think Jim Carrey is actually quite brilliant in this movie in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, he plays a deranged guy who's raised by the television who thinks he's a cable guy. I guess the one narrative hiccup in the movie is uh, why did he show up to hook up the cable? Where did, what happened to the actual cable guy? <laughs> is he in a corpse in the trunk of a car somewhere? Um Matthew Broderick, as he will always be known to me, Ferris Bueller, uh, plays the put-upon sort of victim. Uh, he offers Jim Carrey 50 bucks for free cable, and it costs him 50 bucks and his job and his girlfriend and being able to look his parents in the eye and uh, a lot of physical Ill injury and personal humiliation. Uh, this is a dark sort of stalker comedy. And in the age that this was made, in the 90s, uh, every weekend there was one of these legitimate thrillers opening about the crazy so-and-so. Single white female, crazy roommate, crazy secretary, uh, you know, fatal attraction. These movies were all over the place. So uh, here comes the Jim Carrey comedy. Um, what did you think of The Cable Guy? Um, I'm surprised to find out that it was it was late in his career because it read like it read to me like it was early Jim Carrey. Um, I liked it. I was surprised how much I liked it. I don't think I'd seen it before. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't expecting much because regardless of where I thought it came in his career, I knew it wasn't a super Carrey hit. Right. Um, the premise, the ick, and. <laughs> And so much of Jim Carrey, like, Jim Carrey in that premise, ick, right? Like, yeah. like that's the gross Jim Carrey, right? Not the one who I'm like, yeah, I'd start fuck him. Um, <laughs> but he's, but he's great. Like, it's the same kind of character as Owen in Throw Mama from the Train, where it's the, the, the anti-hero, the, the, the poor, sweet, damaged thing who is so fucked up <laughs> and, and, does these fucked up things that you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, like you're so, ah! like you don't know what to do with it. And, and in the end, it's like perfectly, like you understand, 
stand, even if you never can justify yeah. the no, He definitely does some legitimately evil stuff and does become the villain. Oh but my goodness. you feel bad for him because you realize, you know, we get his, his origin. We understand why he is the way he is. And in a way that few genuine thrillers bother to do, frankly. Yeah, and, I, and, and it's one of the, like, I, the, re, the movie doesn't fail because of Carrie. Like, Carrie gets to go to all of his fucking crazy places. Oh, and yeah. it works. It's great. Like, that, you want more of that in the, like, him, if he was the legitimate crazy fucked up man, that would be I still think he's very funny, but I think part of the reason that it wasn't a hit is that he wasn't likable in the movie. Like, his character was the villain of the Yeah, and in all the you previous... have to do, I thought he was likable, yeah. but... I you have, have to, to like, I've recognized that other, yeah. that it's not an easily accessible, yeah. likable character. Uh, like, Matthew Broderick is that character, would have maybe sold more tickets. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Broderick, as charming Matthew Broderick, read as putting up with Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah, there's it scenes was, where you can see him trying not to laugh. Like, like uh, uh, they should have cast it the other way. I mean, so? as much as I love Jim Carrey in that, it oh, might have sold. Jim Carrey, you know, he did everything he could to earn that paycheck in oh. this movie. He is out there. He is. I love a, him more. <laughs> I would have Jim Carrey baby. He is aggressive. He is in your face. You know, uh, you read him as dangerous right away, and so does Matthew oh. Broderick, you know? <laughs> And Matthew Broderick, bless his soul, keeps like do 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 do. Okay, like it's the 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 nicest nice guy Matthew Broderick ever plays is in this. He's so bored. <laughs> well, and then when all this terrible stuff starts happening to him, it's just, oh. that's for me. Uh, you know why I think it won't. As much as I like Cable Guy, it's not going to rank as high on the list for me as some of the other ones. Is that? I'm not a big fan of cringe humor, mm-hmm. and a lot of this movie is, oh, yeah. oh, stop, oh, no, it's still going on, you know, like the, 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 dirty, uh, the dirty game that he ends up playing with his, uh, his parents, where he has to, you know, mime some phrase in order to get his mom to say nipple and oh. things like this. Oh, that was a terrible scene. <laughs> Just, that was almost the end of it. It's, and I mean, it's exquisitely done, but it's not something that, so it, that like agrees with me necessarily. Uh, and, that's, and that's like, I don't know, Jim Carrey loves his work so much or something in that moment that I could buy into him being brilliant. Yeah. In, like, like, not just being a clumsy asshole, like, usually that character is in that moment, but, like, so clever at being so mean to somebody who he perceived as being unnecessarily cruel to him. Well, and some of the scenes are just so oh. harsh as to actually hurt the funny a little bit. Like, when he has the scene where he has to break up with Chip and tell Chip that he doesn't want to be his friend, it's brutal. It's so good. And then at the end, when he's in the... the the, the dish and he sacrifices himself and you learn that he was a cable kid and yeah. it's like like it, like the fact that it's able to attempt to make that huge statement yeah. I, I fully uh, believe uh, yeah the climax <laughs> of this movie Jim Carrey falls and he breaks the satellite dish which is bringing in everybody's television uh, uh, I fully believe in the original working of the script that the cable guy died when he fell oh, totally. from that tower. Totally. Uh, that was very much, I believe, a studio retrofit or something that uh, he was alive and went on to stalk yeah. another person. I, the movie seemed to be leading... Stalk is hard. But, yeah. <laughs> 
But the movie was leading to this. The the ending was him falling onto the satellite dish and ending cable, however briefly, <laughs> yeah, to try and, and then, save the other little cable boys and girls. And then there. it was a beautiful sacrifice of of this damaged, terrible man. And instead, what happens? Mm-hmm. He peels himself up. He picks up and then goes on to... You know, stalk somebody else or to horrible. give cable. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's had some life change. <laughs> well, I didn't get that vibe. The movie didn't. It seemed like sequel ready almost <laughs> the way they were setting that up. Um, I don't even remember. Yeah, because uh, he he hits the, the the they come and rescue him, and they're gonna fly him up by helicopter, and the uh, the guy the guy oh, EMT guy is like, uh, oh, "You're gonna be okay, buddy. You're gonna be okay." And Jim Carrey looks up and says. You mean you're my buddy? <laughs> and then there's this close-up of crazy eyes. Like it begins again. That's right. He has learned nothing. <laughs> but, oh my goodness! <laughs> a lot of good celebrity show ups in, in this movie too. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson gets the shit kicked out of him by Jim Carrey in a fairly hilarious sequence in a bathroom. Um, Jack Black uh, before yeah. Jack Black was sort of anybody of note as the supporting character as a buddy of. Uh, Matthew Broderick shows up. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Janine Garofalo drops a few dry deadpan lines as a waitress who hates her life at medieval times. Um, yeah, the the movie is solid and fun. I think that, like, like I say, the darkness maybe detracts from the humor at some point. Uh, it almost feels weirdly ahead of its time in its sort of satire of the saturation of the yeah. media. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Jim Carrey has a speech the first time they go to the satellite dish where he talks about the way things are going to be when we're going to integrate our television, our phones, and our personal computers. and You'll be able to play video games with your friend in Vietnam. All of those things came to pass subsequent to this movie being made. It was absolutely dead-on correct in what it was predicting. Uh, the movie doesn't look quite... Super dated, yeah, but it will very soon. It will get increasingly dog-eared. Um, it's worth checking out. It does not deserve the negative reputation it has. No. Uh, ben Stiller has directed some fine comedies. I mean, I... And, and he, his cameos are well cast. Yeah. Like, it, they're very clever. It's part of the joy of it is these... Is is all of the cameos and how Ben Stiller works. Yeah, it just works. In it. Yeah, it seemed like he was sort of paying... I was surprised. I didn't... I had no idea he directed it. Yeah. Uh, It was interesting because I think this was shortly after his TV show wrapped up. So like I say, you can see a lot of people from his TV show showing up in small supporting roles and uh, I still seem to be in that world. Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes and there's some really, really great uh, quotes that have pulled. Bring it. Like the scramby eggs. It's the morning after the karaoke party oh, and yes. the prostitute. Oh. oh my goodness. Would Ernie bring Ernie, Jim Carrey's character, brings in this prostitute is just like completely natural? And he's like, oh yeah, I checked her out myself. <laughs> yeah, oh. That conversation when Matthew Broderick realizes that, that Chip has bought him <laughs> a, girl, a prostitute. <laughs> but, it, but Chip is completely like so natural about it. Just like... Yeah, and, and then the next morning making scrambled eggs do? and they're going to do stuff and 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 you believe it for a second as a viewer because like those kind of buddies that's what you have to do like it's weird. It's well, weird. and in Cable Guy's world, speaking to the darkness of the film, he probably would pay for sex because who really, would right? sleep with the Cable Guy? Well, but it's a, it's a perfectly logical solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then if she's good, you share her with your friend. Yeah. No, no, she's quality. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. Three blind mice. Three blind mice. Heather Chandler. 
Heather McNamara, Heather Duke, Veronica Sawyer. Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be. The most powerful clique at Westerberg. God, Veronica, drool much? Most people would die to get into it. Heather, number one, just look right at me. I'm worshipped at Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Veronica would kill to get out of it. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. JD has come to answer her prayers. I'm a no-rest build-up man myself. We'll kill her. He's got a way with women. So here's a movie that I will argue with you. Well, I don't know if I'll argue with you entire, but I would argue that this movie could not get made today. I don't think that Heather's would get greenlit. I think it's too dark. I think it's too violent. And I think what it says and what it enjoys and what it sort of bathes itself in, sort of the dark, uh, dark darkness oh, of being a teenager, uh, could not, you know, coalesce in this day of school shootings and violence in the media and blah 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 I think that, that the reason that Heather's is going to be kind of an immortal movie is because uh, I cannot think of another high school movie as dark as this. Maybe Election? Maybe? <laughs> but this is one of the darkest teenage uh, comedies ever made, and I think it's quite brilliant. Uh, what do you think of Heather's? Well, I think we can probably get into discussions about dark teenage movies, because I've just sort of started thinking about some of the really dark romance teen movies, because yeah. those go to some pretty dark places. <laughs> However, point stands, Heather's is a dark movie that uh, will not be able to be remade for another couple a hundred yeah. years, maybe. Oh, please don't remake anyway. this movie. Just let it be what it is. <laughs> well, we have to remake everything. That's really <laughs> the way to do it. Uh, yeah, no, regardless of timelessness, I, I think it's a really good movie. Yeah. Like, it, it stands... I think it stands now uh, as a solid movie um, in spite of... Yeah, it can't be because of, but but there's some really clear like '90s, not quite sure of our medium. How right. exactly do teenagers act? Sort of awkwardness that happens in the movie, which is charming, and and keeps it from being a perfect movie, I think, and is still a really 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 good movie. Oh yeah, it's about something. It's like uh, the a lot of the kids, I think, and this is a weakness of a lot of '80s movies, specifically like teen movies, mm -hmm. are too old. They're just clearly not high school students. That's part of the 80s pastiche. I think we just have to accept that. But um, basically, I'll just hit the plot a little bit here. Uh, our main character is Veronica, played by uh, uh, Winona Ryder. She's uh, very young in her career. And uh, she has recently sort of climbed the ranks in high school and joined the Heathers, the most popular clique in school. These three uh, beautiful uh, but mean uh, women who sort of lord over the high school um and she also meets a very young and totally channeling jack nicholson christian slater and uh comes to a few conclusions she comes to the conclusion that she doesn't like any of her friends and that you know she might have made some compromises that she shouldn't have um and jt the christian slater character awakens some interesting and dark things in her and uh Soon, a series of terrible events happen. Uh, 
the level of darkness of the movie, uh, even at the time, they did make some changes to soften it. But uh, we see a beautiful, you know, 16-year-old cheerleader drink some drain cleaner and drop face first through a glass table. And I don't know that it's a moment that's actually played for laughs, although she does utter corn nuts just before she <laughs> expires, strangely. Um, but it's a turning point in the movie, and the movie spirals uh, out of control, ever-mounting uh, afterwards. Um, I think the performances are very strong. I think even Shannon Doherty, who herself has admitted that she's not good necessarily for comedy... Uh, I think she acquits herself well enough. I believe her as a shallow bitch in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she must have done a lot of research to be getting into the into the role. Um, I also like that they invented lingo for this movie. Instead of trying to emulate what the kids were saying mm-hmm. at the time, like, what's your damage, Heather? And uh, all of these little... We, we kind of get to know the you kids. Know what if Jefferson's going to play a reindeer game? Exactly. Kind of they have their own sort of dialect... Which I think is just really good. And yeah, yeah, instead of emulating what the kids were doing, they were giving the kids something to emulate. But what it was saying about teenagers uh, and, uh, you know, how terrible they can be, it was was very heavy. And the violence that is dealt out is pretty unequivocal. There are moments where, you know, we see, you know, the little sister of one of the victims crying at the funeral and we have a moment of holy shit, this should not be funny. But here's the thing. It's funny. <laughs> the movie made me laugh out. It still makes me laugh out loud. But should it? It's so dark. Uh, sorry, I feel like I'm taking over the review, Natara. <laughs> Please. Well, you were sort of giving the synopsis and then the review, right? Yeah. Uh, and then your, like, your basic review. So, um, Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a highly, highly problematic movie. I could pick it apart to no end. And it's such a really, really, really good movie. Like, my my greatest enduring issue with it is the fact that uh, people I know will still use the lingo from it in a pseudo-serious way, <laughs> emulating the Heathers, right? right. A- and perpetuate that issue. Like, it's a fun... It is, it is really fun. The Heathers are fun. But I do think there's... It's just one of those things that's like, you're playing a bitch being a bitch to me, I don't really think that's funny. You know, <laughs> yes. like, why are girls, why are we emulating them rather than emulating some of the f- funny stuff that Winona and and Christian Slater say to each other? But, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's better that we're emulating the Heathers and fucking Jen the Chainsaw. There's truth and I think that's why it's uncomfortable. Yeah. There's truth. There are there Which are is why it's like, so creepy when it shows up in real life. Yeah, it, there are little clicks like this that show up in high schools. And I do believe if the prettiest, most popular chick got knocked down, the second prettiest, second most popular chick would oh. take her place. This oh, it's great. Absolutely true. Like, it's great, and that's why it works. It's like Mean Girls before Mean Girls. Yeah. Basically, know. like, uh, JD convinces Winona Ryder that the first murder was a, a misunderstanding but clearly Christian Slater set her up to drink the drain cleaner um, and after that uh, Winona Ryder starts to kind of meet him halfway. He gives her stories about what they're doing but they're pretty weak the two football jocks who get uh, shot and then posed as if they were out in the woods having a one last encounter with each other uh, 
weird. Like, there's no reason she should have believed that story. When she pulled the trigger, she had to know she was holding a real gun. Like, part of Veronica is complicit. Oh, yeah, and that's part of why it's so lovely and can only happen in, in a high school. It's like... It's like, I don't know, it's like Romeo and Juliet. It can only happen because they're that age. Heather's only happens even though it's something that we can all relate to, right? Like, it's interesting because of the power of popularity. We went through that, we can relate to it, and it's sort of natural human pecking order stuff. And the the getting carried away by a boy stuff, like... I don't know how often I've gotten distracted by a guy in my life when there's no reason to. Now, granted, I haven't been killing people, <laughs> but I could have been doing... I, I, I have done not nice things in the name of somebody else's justification, right? right? Like Been talked getting, into things that you would otherwise not have been talked into. Yeah, and, and, and it's set up really well. Um, well, both, both the context that it's in in the 80s is that weird, absurd context that people keep trying to do, but only worked for a few moments of convergence of pop and rock and roll or something. Like right. the bizarre moment of Heather saying corn nuts when she falls through the table yeah. is bizarre and absurd, and you can't, there's no formula for it, but that one worked, and sometimes it doesn't. Well, for the right? I say mostly it does. And then the other things that are like seem too crazy that they shouldn't work, but do. Uh, Suicide becomes the popular thing because all the popular kids start quote unquote committing suicide. Suicides start going up. It's like people are so desperate to be popular that if they have to kill themselves to do it, it's so also one weird. of the real world disturbing things. Like it, it, it's what makes it clearly a horror movie for me and not a dark comedy because that's what kids do. Like it's a proven thing that suicide does have that kind of effect to it so because it's slightly absurd in heathers and and they from the beginning they set it up because the heathers are sort of they're so polished and and specific they play that there's croquet. A, right there's a there's a general absurdity that is then enhanced by that rock and roll 80s sensibility that lets things like like the 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 cult not the cult the fad of suicide yeah. become something that we can look at really deeply because it can still be funny, right? Like, and so it's that much more disturbing. And then, yeah, the the doing what popular kids do, yeah. and how do you end that cycle by going batshit crazy? Clearly, <laughs> the <laughs> staff at the school, the the principal discussing whether or not they should have a full day off of school or a half day. Mm. He'd be willing to go a full day for a cheerleader, but you know, maybe just a half day for Heather Chandler. Right or the the guidance counselor back like crazy oh, woman who's like so much deciding terrible. whether or not to kill yourself is one of the most important decisions a teenager can make. <gasps> Which wow. is some of the most br- I love that satire in it. Like she she took the, yeah. They, there's this edge that they're pushing, and then they pull in this like beautiful love and love everything. Hold hands, and we're gonna all commune. Teacher, and she's actually like almost. She's, like, adding fuel to the suicide cult. It's so awesome and disturbing. Um, I'm going to move towards the end of the film here uh, because uh, I want to tell you how the film was originally Mm -hmm. going to end. Have you heard this? Mm -hmm. You told me this. Um, In in the movie, uh, 
Winona Ryder, who, by the way, I think gives a really good performance in this film. She has an energy in this movie that you don't see in Winona Ryder almost ever. It's a very young performance, but she carries the movie and does so well. I, yeah, it's one of this is one of the performances that I love Winona Ryder forever yeah. for. Like she could do some shit and she does, yeah. but this is so good, you know. And Christian Slater too. Yeah. This is not when they were dating. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think. know. Exactly. I think they dated on the other one, but this one was maybe when they. I'll ask them next time I'm talking. To them. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, so I was talking about the climax of the film. Um, Speaking of the leads, yes. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Christian Slater is setting a bunch of bombs beneath the gymnasium that are set to go off during their uh, meeting during the. Uh, what do they call them when all the kids in the? I forget. It's a pep rally. Pep except rally it's like a special kind. like. Yeah. All kids your, have to go there to rally school spirit. Hold, but it's like a hold hands and think about your option of suicide uh, type of well, Anyway, the idea is that JT is going to explode the school. And he had this false petition, so he got all the kids in school to sign it. Basically making this a big poetic mass suicide and a statement to the world that is in such horrible decay. Uh, and you can argue he's not wrong about the world being in horrible decay, but his methods are undeniably evil and wrong. And Winona Ryder finally realizes that, you know, fallout or no, she's got to stop him. And they have a conversation in the boiler room. She shoots off his middle finger, uh, removes the bombs from the school. And as she's leaving, he approaches her from behind and decides to kill himself. That's how... Heather's, this movie, basically ends. JT commits suicide, and Veronica decides to move on and try to not be an evil person anymore. Uh, in the script, the entire school, including JT and including Veronica, is exploded. And the last scene we get is them all in heaven. All of them at this, like, school dance. And they're all drinking this blue, dark blue liquid out of the punch bowl that looks a lot like the drain cleaner. But everybody is smiling and everybody's getting along. And popularity doesn't seem to be an issue. They're just in heaven. Uh, they couldn't quite go that far when they made this movie. But I think it gives you an idea of the level of darkness that this movie was like going for. And the fact that it is still funny and that it is, I think, you know, in a way, kind of an immortal movie, uh, I think is interesting. And no, I don't believe that that movie could be made today. There's a, there's a scene where Veronica's mother walks in a room and sees her hanging by a noose. And it's a horrifying scene, but it's almost played for laughs. Because she just starts mumbling, I, I should have let you take that job and I didn't, didn't mean to be so stupid. That scene's not going to get made today. No. Oh yeah, it would. It would be an entirely different movie because, well, the, the social commentary would be different. The relationship between mother, you could. It would require some massive rewriting. We like to think, but we there's, would... but but there's something that's very much a reaction to that '80s, uh, cool clinicalness and having money and uh, girls having a certain amount of freedom and play. Like there, there's a decided. 80s social commentary in there if you yeah. want to pick it out. Well, there's evil in the world, and that means there's evil everywhere, and that means including in high school. Oh my uh, goodness, the relationship and... between JD and his dad? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that was the big evil that I saw in it this time around. Like, I think before I've just been like, okay, kids and crazy shit and people getting blowed up and 
yeah, Winona Ryder being tough girl without being sissy girl, and yeah. Yeah. But well, I mean, dad. Yeah, his the the the, the father son relationship is, seems to have been reversed. JD's mother has died in what was clearly a suicide because, as the story he tells it, she knew suicide. she knew that the, that building was supposed to be bombed and they were there to to demolish the building, and she walked into the building and, and waved out the window just as it was going. And she was pretty much sick of being towed from town to town while her <laughs> husband kept on being an asshole and buying people out and blowing up buildings and so she <laughs> and just... relishing the destruction of it oh but... he just sounded terrible but it's hilarious it is hilarious until you realize how terrible it is the way that JD calls his dad's son yeah they re- reverse like the roles like it's this hilarious this great lovely game for a while and you're but like gee it? I wish I had that relationship and it's so playful and then it's like oh my goodness his dad is terrible and JD is like is so full of pain and hatred and 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 then you find out that he really is bad because it's he's so charming for so long <laughs> as a girl I could buy in and Winona Ryder is a, a strong enough interesting enough girl character one of the problems I would say is that I don't I I know so early on that she's not that she's clearly very different that she's not like well, there's no the there's the very little struggle for her. To not be part of the Heathers and all? She just has to choose not to be part of Heathers, really. That's yeah. really all she has to do. She'll just go back to being what she was, which would seem to be what she wanted. But for some reason, she needs J.D. to teach her this lesson. Yeah, and I do think a it's a bit funny. of a bummer how complicit she is in the murders. I almost wish with those two jocks that J.D. had done all of the dirty work because it does make her a murderer, you know? Yeah, or, like, or if the actress playing was someone slightly more vapid, maybe it would have been easier to see her just being somebody with less choice but yeah. but Ryder is it's bold that they make yeah. her kill him like it's bold and again like the movie take consistently makes brave choices and that's what I love about it oh yeah <laughs> and that ending she is so wonderfully badass like yeah. I want girls I want I want all those young actresses today who are playing badass girls to see this film because she's honestly badass and, and she's uh, dirty and she's sexy and she lights a cigarette off of the smoldering remains yeah. of her boyfriend. And it should be ridiculous. Oh, she looks like horrible. Wile E. Coyote at oh, the yeah. end of a Roadrunner cartoon at the end of this movie. And as much as a compromise as that ending maybe was to the original script, it works well enough for the movie. And, and uh, you know, for Veronica to be the heroine at the end, like maybe she'll end up being just another Heather like anyone else, mm-hmm. except seeing. I don't remember the name of the girl in the wheelchair. Right. The big fun girl. Right. To see her doing the the wheelies around Veronica walking down the hall, it's one of those hope moments. It's like the end of the zombie movie when there is hope, not the zombie movie. And that's what they wanted to give you at the end of the movie is just a glint of hope because the movie is pitch black. And I would say that this ending works better. I usually am a fan of the the original endings. Right. But not having seen it... Mm -hmm. I would say that, that this ending is the good one. Uh, horror movie fan or comedy movie fan, please, by all means, if you have not seen Heather's, it is completely worth it. So your time. interesting. Every year in the small town of Mount Rose, Minnesota, 
A special competition takes place. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. They might say that a pageant is old fashioned and demeaning to the girls. No, I think you boys are going to find something a little bit different here in Montrose. Ouch! <laughs> but for two ambitious girls. I believe this pageant teaches you what's really important in life. I dream of getting out of Montrose. I mean, guys get out of Montrose all the time for hockey scholarships. Or prison. And two jealous mothers. My daughter is the most talented contestant that Mount Rose has ever had. It's not just about beauty. Go muskies! Woo! I've laid on 10 to 1 that it all comes down to Amber Atkins and Becky Lehman. It's about poise. If you could be any tree in the woods, what kind of tree would you be? Okay, here's a film directed by Michael Patrick Jan. And written by Lona Williams, and it's called Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, it, it concerns a beauty pageant uh, that has a bit of a body count. <laughs> the oh. Sarah Rose Miss Teen Princess America pageant, to be more specific. Um, I guess our central characters would be played by Kristen Dunst and Denise Richards. Uh, I was quite mean uh, to um, Denise Richards, actually, when I was talking to my friend Jared about Starship Troopers, which is a movie she's in. Um, but I really, like, very rarely have I been wowed by her as an actress. Mm. I think that in this case, she's really well cast. I think that the part that she's playing, is she's well suited to. She's very beautiful, and she's good at, you know, making a big false smile when it's needed. She's the brunette, right? Yeah. 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 Kristen Dunst is sort of the, the poor, raised in a trailer, uh, just uh, beautiful because she is, and uh, Denise Rich's character is more, you know, her mommy was the former beauty pageant, she's very wealthy, and she has been made yeah. to be a princess yeah. her entire yeah. life, and she's, you know, comes off as quite ruthless. Yeah, you'd feel sorry for her if she wasn't such a bitch. Yeah, and she was spoiled every day of her life, and that's why she's such a bitch. Yeah, bitch. like she's clearly spoiled, whereas Kristen Dunst, you can't help but love her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's just awful. You love her, we and, love her. Yeah, um, and the two other big performances that I think are, are worthy of note are the respective teenagers' mothers played... Uh, Christian Dunst's mother is played by Ellen Barkin. Uh, she's sort of a trailer mm. trash, chain-smoking... Mm. Uh, but, like, a real person. She wasn't oh, yeah. necessarily a cartoon either. Like, nope. it would have been really easy to just, yep. you know, go all Cletus on it. Oh, she's great. She and her friend, played by Allison Janney, who I'm a big fan yeah. of, look like they're having a ball, actually, yeah, yeah. trashing it up. Totally. Um, and Kirstie Alley uh, plays... Denise Richards' mother, uh, and I think this is the best thing that I've seen Kirstie Alley do, like, that I've seen, I didn't see her TV show, but uh, the best movie that I've seen her do, you know, post-Cheers, post-Scientology, you know, like... Uh, Scientology? Yeah, she's oh, big in Scientology, oh, but uh, hey, well, whatever, it's a lot of, lot this of connections. Is, this is better, this is better than Scientology. <laughs> just, yeah. I approve, just for the record. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, it's got that Minnesota nice thing going for it. There's echoes of sort of the Fargo, oh, you betcha kind of <laughs> uh, qualities. Um, uh, Which is a lovely place to place a murder. Yeah. And, Much uh, like a beauty pageant <laughs> is a beautiful place to die. If this was, if we were treating this as a horror movie, I could almost argue this is a found footage. It's actually a pseudo-documentary. The, there, there's a camera crew sort of covering the pageant. Um, 
So that, I think, raises the stakes ever more. I think yeah. this would have been a ruthless competition anyway, but the fact that the cameras are rolling uh, really yeah. bumped things up a Yeah, notch. surprised <laughs> a few times. You know, like 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 really well-set-up shots that you believe. Um, uh, Amy Adams and Brittany Murphy are in supporting roles as the other contestants, both who would become, you know, big celebrities in their own right subsequent to this movie. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see them doing what they can with smaller... Which one was Amy Adams? Amy Adams was sort of the... She came in second place. She was sort of the dumb but uh, embracing it girl. Uh, Sexy girl with the boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah, she was so good. They had some of the best moments, her and her boyfriend. Yeah. Like, just that click into sexiness that you're like, what? Wow. And Brittany Murphy was sort of like the crazy, giggly one. Yeah. She always surprises me how much I like her. Yeah, her her output has gone downhill ever since she passed away, unfortunately. <laughs> Poor thing. But I did think she was a decent actress. She was kind of that rare thing because she kind of looks like a cast for look type yeah. of actress. Yeah. But she did have some chops to her. Oh so. yeah, she filled those roles like Eight Mile. Yeah. Great. And this one is yeah another one where it's like a star quality. Yeah. I think if or something yeah. Anyway, we got all hung up on, on what? the past year. What did you think of the movie? I <laughs> liked it. Surprised by it. Hadn't yeah. seen it before. Um, uh, and, I don't know, arguably the most problematic of, like, the most imperfect right. of the movies, uh, as well as arguably the most, um, quote, important movie, <laughs> because there's something about... Uh, and not to be all like feministy about it, but there's something about that girl's uh, dynamic and the and the beauty pageant world, which is both an utter stereotype as well as a complete truth. And because of the context, it this murder comedy, they can break all the rules or most of them, and have a bunch of great female characters have a bunch of, like, sideways commentaries about things. Like, we have the outgoing pageant girl who's anorexic who can't breathe, right? Like, yeah. and she's hideous. And it's and hilarious, most, and, but it should not Exactly, be. <laughs> and the movie is full of those sorts of moments yeah. where you're just like, that's brilliant, I don't know what else to do, I'm gonna laugh. Or, you know what this movie has? It has balls. <laughs> it does, think, it uh, does. It's the biggest ovaries that, of yeah, the whole it, stat. It like, that's ovaries, the ovary yes, award. Yes, let's right? say it has ovaries. The biggest balls, maybe. But Who made it? Who made the there's, movie? There's... <laughs> Nad. That movie's got nads. Like I said earlier uh, in our conversation, that I have I have a real appetite for dark comedy, and there were lines in this movie where I was like, "Me, I said that that might have been too far, nice. you guys." Nice. And you know what? Good for them. That means like they're swinging for the fences. You yeah. know, you know they don't you don't come away clean if you're playing well, hard for and comedy. Part of how they did it is they had such really great honest moments, like. Like, uh, Christy Alley and um, Richardson have a moment where they smile at the camera and they're perfect pageant girls. Yeah. You're like, fuck you girls are gorgeous and you know how to... Like, it's, it's, like there's brilliant acting moments in it as well. Oh, absolutely. And some bad ones. 
Well, like you say, I think they used the format well. The fact that it was a documentary really helped us get all the different angles yeah. on this. Um, the ending disappointed me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it's arguably anticlimactic. Yeah. Uh, gonna anyway. just, I just want to bring up a couple of <laughs> things that I personally thought might, I, I thought surprised me. And it, like stretched my you know comfort level for comedy. And again, for me, that means you're working it. If you make me uncomfortable, well done. There's the... I don't know if they say if he's like uh, uh, autistic or what. He's that big heavy set guy. Yeah, uh, I didn't like that. Yeah, it story. seemed like this guy was retarded, for lack of a better word, and it was funny because he was retarded, and he was like a uh, character. Do you mean the brothers? No, there's the well. The one guy he ran the store, and then he, I thought yeah. it was his son. Are they brothers? Yeah. His brother. Anyway, yeah, he obviously brothers. takes care of him. That's the but one you're talking about? Yeah. There's lots of uncomfortable, like, humor involving him. Like, when, for some reason, he's there while they're judging the girls, they have to keep stopping him from touching himself. And, like, all of this humor on him. And, like, I did laugh a few times at him. I'm not going to say I didn't. But I questioned whether this was, you know, this was not a safe laugh. And, like, this is weird that they would go there. There's also, they don't mention it a lot, but one of the uh, contestants' parents are Asian and uh, they show up a little bit at the beginning right. but they have the super fun time happy Asian stereotype family America yeah. great and yeah. uh, it's hit so hard that I'm like that shouldn't be funny it is yeah. funny but that one works I think that one works because it's a white daughter right. it's this like adopted thing so it's an extra bit of a twist and I'm okay with the stereotype there There, I, I, I do have a note in my notes about it about a retard one but i feel like the like the brothers one tied up easily like tied up in a smart way sorry you uh, should keep talking okay well look at something. as i remember it they said that in the end when they sort of give you the what happened to all the characters afterwards his brother died and he was left to run the store and so he was just still himself but somehow he was supposed to manage a business um the anticlimax of the movie, and this may or may not be a problem, is that we don't get a final showdown between our, our two girls. Um, Denise Richards uh, dies in one of the few, you know, accidental deaths in the film. Yeah. Legitimately, accidentally, is, is burned alive in front of her mother and the entire town. So Kristen Dunst gets to go to the finals, but when she gets there, she finds out that this entire competition has all been for naught. That the company that was running it has long since gone bankrupt, and, uh, you know, for some reason no one bothered to tell the good people of Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I suppose that it, it's really funny, now that you mention it, that I, that, that feels anticlimactic. Because it's only anticlimactic because... We love Kristen Dunst so much. We want her to win. We want her to win, despite the fact that all these girls have died. Like, that's hilarious that we forgive all of these deaths of these girls that we like or come to sort of like. Because Kristen Dunst won, and then, oh, too bad, she doesn't actually get to win. Yeah. Were you surprised (laughs) to find out who the killer was? Uh, no. Yeah. I did doubt that for a while, though. Yeah. Like, I, I knew, and then I... There Some was of the good classic, misdirect. It was the classic thing with thrillers. The the movie clearly wanted us to think that Denise Richards was doing all of these murders. So I immediately took her off my list of suspects. Yeah. Which made it a short list. I mean, basically her, her mom, right? Yeah. 
Kirstie Alley, and yeah. I was correct. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, it, it was great seeing this turn, because she's all about control, 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 and keeping that face. And when she finally has that turn at the end of the movie, it is a genuinely really strong performance from Kirstie Alley. And I want to say the same thing with Ellen Barkin. She has spends Ellen a good Barkin portion... great. She spends a good portion of the movie with a beer can fused to her hand because of an explosion in her trailer, which was had clearly meant to kill her daughter. Ashes into it. <laughs> well, she's got it. She might as well ash into something, right? It's just a very, you know, practical lady in a lot of ways. But again, a real person. Like, Yeah, they stole that movie, really, because they didn't... They took it just seriously enough. Yeah. And and some of the others missed missed moments because they were either taking it too seriously or not seriously yeah. enough. And but they the just, main couples, like yeah. I think, like the rich snooty people and uh, and our trailer trash, we understood those two worlds, and uh, I found myself valuing that I sort of find myself in between those two. I'm just like a a suburban yeah. small town kid, right? So uh, I feel like. <laughs> If those are the two extremes, it's nice to play in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the beauty of the context, is because we don't really need to know more about the world. Yeah. We can just have those two extremes and a bunch of interesting characters. I was surprised at how much I liked this movie, especially when I revisited it. Watching it again, I was like, that is a really funny, really sharp, about something, you know, dark comedy. From the creators of O Brother, Where Art Thou? and Fargo. Allow me to present myself formally. Goldthwaite Higginson Doa, Ph.D. I saw the sign in your window advertising a room to let. I'm looking for a quiet tenant. Madam, you are addressing a man who is quiet, and yet not quiet. Allow me to introduce you to my friends, these devoted and passionate musicians. So y'all don't play no hippity hop songs with the title spelled all funny. Oh, no, no, no. We play church music. But I don't propose to inflict our rehearsals on you. Do you have a... Okay, Natara, uh, you know that uh, I am a ridiculously huge fan of the Coen brothers, and you're here on a very unique occasion. This is the first Coen Brothers movie that we <gasps> reviewed on Seriously? Rankin Review. Yes. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I yes. Feel <laughs> <inside>. <laughs> My tummy just got all warm. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. This is a remake of The Lady Killer, which is a very famous uh, film starring Alec Guinness. Um, the this version or permutation of it relocates it to New Orleans from London, I believe, mm. and this stars uh, Tom Hanks as a man who rents out the basement of a charming uh, old lady uh, under false pretenses. As far as she cons is concerned, he wants to rehearse with his band in her root cellar. But what he really is doing is digging a tunnel in a, in a, in a make a heist. The movie is called The Lady Killers, so of course she figures out what's going on, and it puts Tom Hanks and his bumbling group in the awkward position of having to rub her out. And this causes no end of problems. Um, as I said, I'm a huge fan of the Coen Brothers, but I'm going to drop a bomb. I think this might be my least favorite Coen Brothers film. What did you think of The Lady Killers? I, I liked it well enough. Okay. Uh, I'm not a, 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 
I, I don't know that I would call myself a Coen Brothers fan. I like their work well enough. Some of it, I think, is absolutely brilliant, yeah. and I completely understand why people are crazy for them, and yeah. some of them I sort of go, why, and? Mm -hmm. So, um, th this one, I would say, falls fairly squarely in the middle good right. for me. Uh, mostly in your description, I went, I want to see the original with Alec Guinness right. <laughs> in the character. London makes more sense. Putting it in New Orleans uh, adds a lot, and I think adds a lot that maybe is unnecessary to the basic storyline. Um, Cohen's are lovely because they have these great... Uh, they, they put so much into a story. Like, it's it's squishy full of goodness, right? And when <laughs> it works detail, really well, yeah. it's... Yeah, it, it's full of life and warmth and all of that. And I guess when it's more chaotic is when I'm not so sure <laughs> I like it or not. Uh, and New Orleans is a really nice place for them to work because New Orleans itself is so full of detail and is really rich and... And the, the slow warmth of New Orleans works really well for the, the way the Cold Brothers tell a story. Um, so that's all really nice. Uh, I was really aware of, of light in it. To be honest, the part of the story, even watching it the second time, the, um, going to watch it the second time, what I'd remembered about the story was the woman uh, and... And the lady killers. Right. The, Irma uh, P. Hall plays the woman that they rent the house from. Yeah, but I didn't actually remember the details of the gang. I just remembered right. her. I remembered uh, Hanks, and I remembered there was some boys. I remembered right. and a basement business, right. and that was the meat of the story for me. So, and and even again, I sort of had forgotten the whole. Oh, right. There's this repeated attempt to kill her, and they keep failing, mm -hmm. and. There, yeah, and the whole story of her talking to her dead husband, like it becomes, uh, yeah, the the layers of it are really lovely. Yeah. Somehow it doesn't entirely gel, and I don't know why. I like the movie again. This is one of my least least favorite Coen Brothers movies, but I hold them to a fairly high esteem. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I'm one of those guys when it yes, comes to the Coen Brothers, are. and the, the, I, I'm honest about it. And I think it's taken as a general comedy that you'd go to see in the cinemas. This is a completely adequate exercise. You got Tom Hanks in the central performance, and he does a very solid job of it. He enjoys the the, the dialogue that he's giving. Uh, and it's and far more tell. interesting comedy than most comedies, even. It's just weird for me. I think that it's awkward when the Coen brothers try to be commercial. They're really good at just sort of making their Coen brothers movies, but every now and then they try to make something that's that's a hit, or in some cases they try to do both at once. The Hudsucker Proxy being a prime example of this. One of the first times they had a huge budget and a major studio backing them, they were making a movie to please everyone. This was and to be their huge did. hit. Everybody who's seen the movie loves it, but nobody went to see it in the theaters. Oh. It was kind of a catastrophe in the you know money spent to money made kind of uh, acquisition. For Paul Newman, Tim Robbins, big budget comedy, it did not do well. Um, so then they just said, fine, we'll make our own movie, and they made Fargo, and it was one of the biggest hits of their career. Arguably the most important hit of their career. Uh, I think at this point they were they'd done a, a couple of for hire jobs. They uh, did Intolerable Cruelty right before this, uh, which was a script that they were originally hired to sort of doctor. And then mm -hmm. somebody, some producer, talked them into 
to getting on board. And that was the Teenagers Dangerous Liaison? No, no, no. This was George Clooney and Catherine Lee oh, Zeta-Jones. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, Tolerable yes, Guilty. Yeah, they loved were, they it. Were, good, yeah, goodness. Divorce lawyers. It's a good time. Sorry, it's a similar fun, title. Fun whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, love um, uh, But they had a couple of things on the docket that they wanted to get, do, get to make. Uh, you know, the... No Country for Old Men, and uh, no some of the more, <laughs> there are more personal projects. And uh, I think, I get the feeling, I didn't talk to them about it, but they thought, Tom <laughs> Hanks, <laughs> remake of The Lady Killers, mega hit, mega box office, we'll get ourselves a solid notch. Fair enough. You know, it may not be one of our Oscar ones, but we can make another little Raising Arizona. And I wish oh, they yeah. had made a yeah, Raising yeah. Arizona. <laughs> yeah. <right>? But, uh... <laughs> Some of the comedy that's a little bit broad, the, one of the characters has a ga- uh, problem with the, his intestines, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, obvious. A, yeah, it, 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 they set it up in a classic Comer this way, but they go to the well a lot, and I just, I, I don't think it's funny. It almost feels like pandering. Um, there's a few scenes like this where, where, where Marlon Wayne is, is, is talking about the this woman's ass at work, which just seemed... Uh, doesn't sound Coen Brothers to me. It sort of sounds like this is what they think the mainstream audience are expecting yeah. from a mainstream comedy. Uh, it's funny enough, and it works well enough. And I don't want to talk all about the Coen Brothers and not about this movie, so I'll get more into the actual plot. But, but before we move on, I think that's an awesome description for why the film doesn't quite work. Because it almost works, but there's those weird things. It's like, what the hell? That's not even like weird enough but you know? am I just does it stick out more for me because I'm a Coen Brothers freak and if I didn't have all the baggage with the Coen Brothers that I do and just watch this movie as a comedy would they bother me as much I don't know no but I think that I think that uh, we both agree on film to an extent that uh, that your solutions for it mm-hmm. like the things that you can see as being wrong with it are probably the sort of same sort of things that don't ring true for me right. because yeah, the Coen brothers and the and the like the concept. So much of this should work. Yeah. So much of the broadness should still work. Like I shouldn't be sitting there going, "Okay, Tom Hanks, why aren't you? Like, why doesn't this fit exactly? Right. This like this could have been another uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou right. type event, right? Well, like just weird enough, but you know, just exciting enough, but not too weird you can sort of like you can get in and you're sort of safe and it's interesting and the stuff with Irma P. Hall and her loving the church and her trips to the church yeah uh, all sort like, of gave me that oh brother vibe where you really felt a sense of place of who this woman was yeah. you loved her you yeah, just and loved the her fascinating right? stuff and of they're their so good work. at doing that yeah. but it's not the same movie as when she gets back to the house and these guys are trying to kill them in this wily coyote way that said, once we get, once the movie gets to that point where it's basically the series of uh, attempted and failed hits on this old lady, that's when it really kicks into high gear and yeah. becomes a lot of fun. I think that there's a, the middle of the movie is a little bit slow for me, even I will say that. Um, but yeah, the well, setup that's kinda, I it love. Doesn't know what it is and, in the middle. Yeah, the setup I love, and once the they've established the, the, the Bosch heist happens, and they've established that they have to 
kill this woman. I think the turning point scene for the movie is the drawing straws sequence. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. they decide yeah. who's the person that's going to have to ice the old lady. Uh, yeah. Nobody wants to do it, but it's got to get And it's done. real enough at that point that we're, that you buy in and you're, and you're, oh my God, like, <laughs> I, could I do that? Could that person do that? And that's the brilliance of the story in that time period because murder means something different. And that's why it's a great movie to see and a great movie to be made because the idea of murder is real. It's not just a toss-off. Yeah, for sure I'd kill somebody for a million yeah. bucks. Uh, yeah, like, like it actually is painful that these guys... You actually understand yeah. why it's so hard to kill this woman, as opposed yeah. to sitting there going, just stick the pillow over her face. Yeah, well, Tom Hanks doesn't want to kill this woman at all. And In you fact, don't want I believe that too. he would be the last of the people, the men capable of it. It's a great little crew that he has got together here. Uh, J.K. Simmons uh, is an actor I really like. It's J- Juno's dad from the movie Juno, and he was in the TV show Oz yeah. and a few other things. Um, C. May, who I'm not as familiar with, uh, Ryan Hurst, who plays this just dumb as a bag of was very, very nice. He <laughs> was solid. He played his stereotype as well as giving it super flesh, yeah. which is always solid. Ryan Hurst is a football guy, and he Fantastic. is hilarious. Uh, you wouldn't recognize him, but a lot Love of people him. will know him from Sons of Anarchy. He's actually one who was in the, the TV show Sons of Anarchy. He's one of the guys in the, in the gang. Huh. Um, and, and of oh, course, uh, Marlon Wayans uh, shows up in here as one of the guys. That sort of a bit of a problem starter for the group, but a fairly high-energy performance. Um, Charming. Yeah. So, you know, like all the pieces are here. You see that this is a good movie. The script is solid. It's the Coen brothers. I don't really think that they're going to make a bad movie. And I don't think that this is a bad movie. I think on the, the, the world of the Coen brothers, I would rank this low. Um, you will enjoy, especially once we get to the, like I say, the antics of trying to kill this old lady. And that's the point where all of a sudden, you know, deaths do start to come for laughs. But uh, there's just some bizarre, spectacular sequences that you could not possibly predict that are just brilliantly, darkly funny. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of laughs to be had. And they're well framed and a lot of beautiful shots. Like the yeah. Coen brothers do what they do well there's a, a beautiful sense so of place yeah. you know the cinematography is beautiful the 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 important like important heart notes are are yeah. hit and you buy in and you just wish something I always say I'm, I'm hardest on or... the ones that I love it sounds mm-hmm. like I'm giving this a negative review and I'm not it's a funny movie uh, I, I just love me those cobros well, yeah, and the, the, it's the it's the sort of issues that I, the 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 reason that I don't like their films is maybe why I don't like this one either. Like. So it was that we came to the rank and review part of this rank and review, of this very special rank and review episode. Where this is the first episode where we haven't just concentrated on horror movies, so it's a little different. 
A little different. I'm a little out of my my typical element here. Well, we could talk about what's so horrific about these movies. Would that make you feel better? <laughs> well, I think they all had an element. Like again, oh like God. you said, the descriptor of each of those movies. You could you could cheat it into a Well, word. yeah, and I have been feeling bitchy, so I could rip them apart. It would be <laughs> terrible. Yes. Well, I'm I'm fascinated to know what was your least favorite of these movies and why. Well, um, uh, I I I I have to admit that Throw Mama from the Train was my least favorite. Wow. Okay. For all that I loved about it, I simply enjoyed it the least. Like, the funny moments were more awkward feeling for me, rather than up and up hilarious. Um, the the really lovely, sort of well-crafted moments, like the, the sequence with, the, um, with Danny DeVito calling from Hawaii and all of the ridiculous phone booths, right. you know? Uh, those sequences were just absurd enough to not really be funny, like to be lovely, and, right. but not, but not like ha 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 hilarious. And the uh, and the horror part of it, um, I I bought into and the dark comedy of it and the Hitchcock edge of it, and yet somehow it didn't sustain me through the end scene, which is kind of a fail. I mean, maybe it's a fail on me of not buying in well enough, but if I if I if there's the possibility in this kind of setup for me to not realize in that last scene that we're in the homage moment on the train where it all began, yeah. something's a little bit not good enough. So too bad, Danny DeVito, I love you, Mama, I love you. I do have a new respect for this yeah. film. Yeah. And I would gladly watch it again okay. so I'm super and like glad say, you gotta put one at the bottom it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie it's just your least favorite of this group fair yeah, enough yeah 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 yeah, yeah. alright totally well, what's good movie. number five number five is the Lady Killers which yeah is it another it's it's one of those gee those Coen brothers make good movies sure I'd like do. to go watch a different one of yeah. theirs <laughs> to remind me of how good this one could be because yeah. it could be but gosh Tom Hanks kind of sucked in it yeah. as uh, awesome like as he was it was it just got too, too self-conscious sometimes uh, I got a kick out of him yeah it was it was great <laughs> but that's sort of the example of it it was totally great it was totally great and okay uh, enough of that yeah. so too bad for that <laughs> it's that, it was the prettiest one though like right. when I think about it my head is just all full of the like, green of it. <laughs> so I'd watch it again just for that. Yes, so, uh, number four is... The Cable Guy. Cable Guy. Uh, definitely the one that leaves me feeling the most disturbed and kind of tied up in my chest. Oh, yes. Um, I'm still not sure I want to watch it again as much as I really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Surprisingly high placement, and some people would argue, again, like I said, this was not very well received critically or financially. It's one of the early Judd Apatow productions, too. He's now come up quite a ways in, in the where He's so big in comedy now, his movies don't even need to be funny. Wow. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Arguably, this is not funny. Uh, I'd have to review my notes to see how much I laughed at it. And yeah, I'm surprised at where it sits, to be sure. Um, and, and like really when you're looking at who's involved in 
uh, Cable Guy versus Lady Killers and throw Mama from the train, it's a no-brainer that Cable Guy would not even be on that list. <laughs> However, I was so, so pleasantly surprised by Jim Carrey's work in it yeah. and the social commentary that came up in it. I it was about something. Yeah. 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 And, and even if I didn't know that's what it was about until the end, the Jim Carrey character sustained me because it was interesting enough and heartwarming enough. Uh, would I have felt that way if I was just watching it on TV randomly? Who knows? No. Who knows? But. All right. Well, let's yeah. scratch its way to number three then. <laughs> I'm so judgy, judgy. Drop Dead Gorgeous <laughs> is number three, which surprises me as well. Um, for all that I liked it, there was a lot of issues I had with it. Right. Like, uh, Dunst at one moment, uh, she's a panic moment that's just this, like, are you serious? Like, how, do, how does that pass as acting? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> come on, girl. And, and there's a couple of that, uh, a couple of those moments that you just kind of forgive and I'll just forgive that moment which might be because it's sort of a girly movie and I right. wanted it to be better than it was <laughs> but um, but the good is good right. and I'll stand by it alright number two number two so I married an axe murderer wow yeah and all of these placements I'm finding are surprising to me but I will stand by this so <laughs> Uh, it is what it is. It's very successful at doing what it does. Oh yeah, uh, and I think, and I have to, I have to rate it. At, I have to rate it highly because I keep being surprised at how good it is. Every time I see it again, I get caught up in it, and it rarely, rarely happens for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I bet you I know what your number one is then. The big surprise. Well, actually, it was a surprise. Heather's is my number one pick on that list. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm being really bitchy because I'm all like, they're all so problematic. These <laughs> movies are imperfect. Well, Whereas- when, you're, when you're forced into a position <laughs> of ranking movies, and I understand this is very arbitrary. They're all good movies. It's just interesting to see. It, yeah. It's like if I ask you how you feel about one movie, I get your perception of one. But if I see a rank of six, I feel like I get a little bit of a... An idea of your taste. Yeah, yeah. Um, our lists are pretty, pretty different. I just want to... Okay, go. You want to go? Yeah. No, go. You go. Um, but they're not so different as to be like, no fights are going to break out, you know? I don't think that this is going to cause a rift in our I'm friendship. I'm guessing a couple of them. <laughs> I don't think it's going to cause a rift in our friendship, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's in a it's in a different order. Okay, while you're doing that, I just have to say that I'm still surprised that Heather's is the top of the list because right. it's it, it's not a, like a feel good movie. It's not a I'm just going to sit down and watch a movie. Just throw something in for fun, <laughs> right? Like I've probably seen Axe Murderer more, but it's just a more interesting movie. Like if I was going to keep one of all of those six that yeah. was not to be burned in the yeah. great burning of things. Oh yeah, if, if I had to pick one of these for a desert island, Heather's is there for sure over all the rest of them. It would hurt me to would turn my back on the Cobras, but there it is. But would you? <laughs> anyway. Well, if the desert island didn't have a DVD player, I'd be screwed anyway. Where's the desert island? <laughs> I gave Cable Guy the number six position, uh-huh. and it's not because I don't like the Cable Guy. <gasps> you I, hate my boyfriend, Jim <laughs> Carrey! <laughs> <laughs> it's the, oh, yeah. barf! Uh, I, I I think it, it's it's got a, it's 
it's a gutsy dark comedy, and uh, I think that especially at that time in his career, it was you know I bet you he really relished playing a, a role of someone so sinister. You know, I, I had a good time with it. I thought the satire again was almost ahead of its time. Um, solid movie, and doesn't deserve the negative reputation, but something had to be six, and so there's the cable guy. And believe it or not, at number five, and this might piss you off, I put your number two. So I Married an Axe Murder, again, which I completely enjoy. Um, like I say, it is what it is. It does what it does well. It's a romantic comedy. It hits those notes well. It's got the thriller backstory, and it hits those notes well. It gives Mike Myers, you know, soft pitches so that he can do the things that he does well. Um, it goes down easy. You can watch it again and again. Um, but it didn't change my perceptions of the world. It's just like it, it was a totally decent comedy. So, there it is. Um, so, number four will be where the Lady Killers lands up. Um, it's really well made, and there's great script stuff. I just think that there's, like, they're, they're, they're serving different moods at different times. The movie doesn't have one consistent mood the way a lot of the other Coen brothers sort of settle into one nice groove. And once you once you get on their wavelength, you can just ride the movie out. This one, this, the wavelength has a lot of little bumps and hits in it. But it is funny. It's well acted. It's amazingly well executed. It's dark. Um, and quite violent, actually, in the second half. Um, certainly worthy of this list. Uh, Homicide made hilarious. But, uh, yeah. For a Coen Brothers movie not to make the top three surprises me. Um... Number three is Throw Mama from the Train. Interesting to note about Throw Mama from the Train. Uh, the main character's name is Larry, and my name is Larry. And Danny DeVito's character's name is Owen, and my son's name is Owen. So I have two namesakes in this uh, movie. It's not that I love the movie that much that I chose to name my son after a character in it. But it's, it's interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I totally love the Danny DeVito character in it. I think that that's the thing about this movie, that why it ranks so high to me is like... It's so interesting that we have this character who is willing to commit murder, but who I like so much. Um, because as far as he knows, he did kill somebody. Um, and he doesn't even seem like eating up inside racked with guilt about it. It was like the thing he had to do to get, you know, his mom out of his life so that he could be sane. Um, it's interesting that... that it's a complex character, and it's really well played by Danny DeVito. And on top of doing that role, he was also directing the movie. Uh, I was quite impressed with it. And like I say, it's it's quick, easy to digest, uh, fun comedy. I say, go team. One throw them up in the train. Surprising me. You said you were surprised by your number two. I was very surprised by my number two, but there's Drop Dead Gorgeous at number two. It is very, very dark and gutsy uh I, I you know like i say this is out of all these dark comedies this movie has the most uncomfortable humor to it and it is about something like you were saying the the previous contest or the previous winner of the contest that they keep interviewing who's like losing her hair and her teeth and can barely speak and i laughed and i knew that i should not be cool with laughing <laughs> at that that that's a very real thing that happens to people but damn uh, Heather's is the best of these six movies, I think. Uh, I, I think, like I say, it's close to bona fide classic. Um, 
if you haven't seen Heather's, do yourself a favor. It's aged remarkably well. It does feel very 80s. Some of the fashions are off. Some of the music are off. But it, it's all within the world of the movie. There's just something about it that uh, I think ages well. Um, some people are off-put by how Jack Nicholson, uh, Christian Slater is. He has subsequently admitted that he'd recently seen uh, The Witches of Eastwick and was very impressed by Jack Nicholson and that maybe that might have influenced his role. Well, uh, you know what? If you're going to steal, brother, steal from the best. So so be it. And it utterly works. But, yeah. Uh, Heather's number one. Thank you so much for ranking and reviewing with me, Natara. Uh, is there is there anything you uh, want to me to promote or to give people direction to you on the interwebs? No. No. Uh, Natara is a very talented actress and dancer in Saskatoon and Manitoba and Canada in general. Uh, good people. And there it was. Episode ten of Rank and Review is behind us. Uh, Hope you guys liked that change of pace. Um, it was, uh, was a different episode for me. I was so used to talking about horror movies that I felt almost out of my, out of my element. Um, if you'd like to write me and let me know how I did, uh, please do so at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And uh, we have a fan page on Facebook for Rank and Review, so if you'd like to uh, join up that and leave a post, that would be great to hear from you. Uh, my name is Larry Parsons, I'm your host and random Canadian, and thank you so much for listening.